strong values and strong opinions. Yeah. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a quick reminder, the Innings Festival is back. The two-day music festival featuring Green Day, Eddie Vedder, Weezer, The Offspring, and so much more. Returns to Tempe Beach Park February 25th and 26th. Head over to the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. President Biden made an important trip, and I do think it was an important trip, to Kiev. I went down some of the history just in my memory of things that were, were done by U.S. presidents that were largely symbolic but also were necessary. Um, you know, uh, President Reagan and the trip he made to the Berlin Wall, for those of you that don't remember that, that was such a huge occurrence when the wall between East and West Berlin was eventually brought down, the Soviet Union and the falling of the Soviet Union in the end of the Cold War. It was an incredible experience. Um, the president then, Reagan, also his standing with Poland. I mentioned that earlier as a time when there were the people of Poland going through a time of becoming a democracy. And the president stood with them. Not only did he stand with them as a country and the president, Reagan, putting a candle in the window of the White House saying we stand with the, the Polish people. But he also formed an alliance with the pope because the pope was from Poland at the time. And so there was there is a lot of symbolism in these things when uh, and, and, you know, we know that President Obama and both President Obama and President Bush uh, talking about George W. Bush made trips to visit the troops in Iraq. There was that famous trip that was kept so quiet until the president of the U.S. was on the ground. And there was actually a funny story that the president told publicly. So I guess I can tell it uh, in in Bush. Um, I remember being in an event with him and he told the story that the Secret Service, it was that trip was kept under wraps so well that nobody knew that he was leaving his ranch in Crawford, Texas, including some of the people that were on the detail. And so they lost him. They thought they had lost the president. And they were about ready to set off alarms and and uh, try to figure out how they lost the president. But he actually was on a plane heading toward Iraq. That was a big, significant, symbolic deal for the president to walk into that room with the troops just exploding in cheers. And so that was a, a huge deal. And here, a lot of symbolism, whether you agree with, and this is where we have to differentiate sometimes our political opinions from the significance of the situation. This was this president standing up and saying, I am the leader of this country, and I am saying we as a country are going to stand with Ukraine. And he wasn't just saying it to the Ukrainian people or to the American people. This was a statement to the entire world. Uh, the Russians were warned not to mess around, and they didn't, which I think is a significant thing. If um, Vladimir Putin was suicidal, like many have said he is, uh, if Vladimir Putin was on a suicide mission, a perfect opportunity to uh, one last stand would have been to mess around with the time that uh, the president, our president, was either on his way or was in Kiev, and he didn't do that. Um, there's a lot of things here, I think, diplomatically that are at play, uh, strategically and militarily. I Again, I am not a military expert, but I've been reaching out to people that I know and listening to them talk. You know, China 
I wouldn't go. I don't know if I'm going to go as far and say that China is using Russia as their enforcer. But the Russian people going into Ukraine, saying that this is their territory and their land, and breaking treaties. There was a they're they're postponing the renegotiation of the Smart Treaty, which is you know the strategic arms treaty with nuclear weapons that we have that limits what our countries can have a nuclear capabilities. He's suspending those talks because of the president's visit. But I think in the 90s, 94, 95, they signed an agreement. Um, and they agreed not to go in and take Crimea or other places, and they went in and they did that anyway. And so how long how long does the world stand by and watch this happen? After watching what happened with Hitler and how largely the world didn't believe that this was a big deal until it was a very, very big deal, there have been people, military experts and strategists that have, um, whether it's just intellectually argued about this or debated it, I should say, or whether it's been a part of the war Colleges and how the next generation of military leaders, including presidents and joint chiefs, how they face a threat. The questions about had the world intervened with Adolf Hitler sooner than they did, would it have saved lives in a long time in that war? And that's a question you wrestle with is when is it time to intervene? But we're watching very closely what he's doing. There are many people that believe he won't stop at Ukraine, that he will go into Poland. But what the and I think it's because he desperately wants the Soviet Union back. I think that he just for him, that was as patriotic as it gets. Again, I remember the Cold War. We all do. We all remember what it was like to watch the U.S. face off against the USSR. And I mean, the Rocky movie that was, I think it was Rocky Five, where he fought the Russian and they were the demons. Look at Red Dawn. They were the, you know, that was that they were our adversaries. And so if we had lost that war, if the United States had fallen apart, if we had lost World War II and, you know, everybody west of the Mississippi was speaking Japanese and everybody east of the Mississippi was speaking German, we would have felt a lot differently about that. And Vladimir Putin, now that he's running that country, I think desperately would love to see the rise of the Soviet Union as much as he would like to see the fall of the United States. The Chinese, I think, are a lot more calculating. I think the Chinese see this as... As they're watching us, we've admitted, our president has said, we are depleting our armament. We are depleting our weapons of war. We are depleting what's necessary, if needed, to um, defend ourselves. And what about what's going on with Taiwan? Is China going to go in? What if they wait until we're at a place where we can't fight on two fronts, whether we actually have troops there or we're sending in supplies to defend there like we're doing with Ukraine? These are all questions that are way above my pay grade. But it's questions the American people have a right to know. If the president of the United States is going to or was going to and is is still continuing to supply what's needed for this war with the Ukrainians to stand up against the Russians. And we've increased. First, we sent a small amount. Then we were sending uh, bullets. If you remember, we were sending bullets and we were sending small caliber arms. And then we were selling larger armament and we were sending missiles and we were sending howitzers and we were sending armored vehicles. And then we're sending tanks. And we have done this incrementally. The president has gone short of saying we're going to send F-16s. Um, and I'm not advocating necessarily that we do that. I'm asking the question that why are we doing this incrementally? If we are standing strong, if the President of the United States 
is standing in Kiev in the in the president's palace or whatever it's called there, standing there next to the president of Ukraine and saying, we stand with Ukraine and we are going to do what we can to make sure you're victorious. What is holding them back from giving them what they need to defend themselves and push back this threat? Why is it done incrementally? I don't know the answer to that question, but the American people do have a right to know what is the limit. How much longer are we going to go and how does it affect the U.S.'s ability to defend itself? And I think he needs to do a better job. Matter of fact, I will tell you, I know he needs to do a better job of filling in those blanks. Coming up in a moment, um, I talked about this earlier. I want you to hear it again, though. If you missed it, I hope you'll stick around because the president of the United States talking about the budget, Social Security and Medicaid and Senator Biden talking about the exact same topic years ago and how completely different they are. All that's coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I am in New York City. I'm in Midtown Manhattan, and I love the big city. It's it's fun to come to New York every chance I get. It's cold today, but um, I really do enjoy it. So thanks for spending part of your morning with me. I'll be back on CNN tonight. I'm not exactly sure what time, but I will, I'll put it up on social media. Um, it was an interesting panel yesterday. I was definitely outnumbered on the panel, but it was a lot of fun. People were very nice, and Allison Camerata did a really good job moderating the conversation. Not sure what we're doing tonight, but I'll put it up in a little bit. Um, the president of the United States said that his first budget that was passed um, uh, reduced the deficit by $350 billion and that it was going to reduce the deficit by over a trillion dollars and then $3 trillion. In a fact sheet on the president's proposed 2023 budget, the White House boasted about the president's strategy to grow the economy. However, in April, no, um, title, no President Biden has not implemented historic deficit reduction. Um, it was written that the main source of the following deficits is the expiration of most of the COVID relief. The reason why I bring that up is because there is this happens with both political parties when they're in power. You are going to highlight the highlights and you are going to diminish the lowlights. And so I don't blame the president for talking about jobs because that's the bright spot in the economy. But you do have to hear the difference, and I want you to pay close attention to this. The president of the United States is using an old scare tactic saying that Republicans – and you know the, the vast majority of voters, the highest voter demographic in this country in both political parties are older people. And so older people, whether they're old enough to receive Social Security and Medicaid benefits, they're getting closer to that age. And the concern has been there for a long time that those programs are going to go bankrupt after we've paid into them our whole lives. I love myself in that category. I'm 55 years old. That what happens if those programs aren't there after I have spent my life paying into that system? So the old scare tactic is every time the Republicans talk about reforms or a balanced budget, the screaming about Medicare and Medicaid and how it's going to cut benefits and how they're going to get rid of these programs and they're going to leave old people without a safety net happens over and over again. So that's been the attack. We all have heard it recently where the president goes after Republicans like this. I want you to hear Senator Biden, not President Biden. This is Senator Biden. What he proposed, listen to how many times he says he proposed it. When he proposed a spending freeze to balance the budget, 
What did he propose cutting spending on? Listen to this. When I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice, I tried it a third time, and I tried it a fourth time. Somebody has to tell me in here how we're going to do this hard work without dealing with any of those sacred cows. So, um... This is, again, I'm not telling anyone how to do their job. I'm not sitting here saying, you journalists, you know, it's a different world. I live in a different world than journalists do. But we have a press pool, and it is my belief that their job is to question those who lead us. They have every right when it, when when this Santos guy, is that his name, the guy from New York, the Republican that got elected that lied about his entire resume? They should be raking that guy over the coals. They should be asking him questions. They should be digging into every part of his life to find out what else he lied about. doesn't matter what party he's from. You know, uh, the story about former President Bill Clinton, as embarrassing as it was to the entire country, when that story came out, they had, they had a right to ask those questions. They have an absolute right when, you know, the FBI raids a former president's home and they start posting pictures of classified documents at his home, the press has a right to ask questions. But you have an obligation to look on the other side of the aisle at times and be just as critical. When this president, and if I can, in doing a, a a local radio show in Phoenix, Arizona. If I can, in a moment's notice, find that clip on Twitter, it's available to everyone. Where is the criticism and the questioning of the political football? Because all Americans should be concerned about this. This president ran and said, I'm a Democrat, but I will be a, a president for all um, all Americans. This is the same gamesmanship we've seen from both sides of the aisle for decades. When uh, Republicans will tell you, I've been through this in the years I've been in talk radio now. I've watched this happen. When Barack Obama was running for office, we were told if Barack Obama wins, it's going to be the demise of America. After the first four years of Barack Obama, we were told by my Republican colleagues and friends, we were all told that if Barack Obama gets reelected, he's going to destroy America from the inside out. It will never be the same again and we'll never recover. We'll never get our country back. And then 18 months after he left office and Donald Trump was elected, Republicans were bragging about the most uh, amazing economy we've seen in 50 years. We were setting records with job growth and wage growth and low inflation, low gas prices. All of that stuff was going like crazy. And in 18 months, all of that damage, and I'm, I'm using that term as descriptive, damage that Republicans said were done for eight years was fixed in 18 months. We were told that Donald Trump was ruining America and America was over and we were ruined around the world. And look from the Democrats' point of view where we are now. It's the same game. And we keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. And where are the people in the media playing that clip and saying, hey, wait a minute. Why did you say this, Mr. President? Tell us how what you're saying about Republicans isn't what you were saying yourself when you were a senator. It's a fair question. It's more than a fair question. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about immigration and we're going to talk about recruiting of police officers, crime and punishment as one governor goes across the country recruiting cops for his state. We'll talk about it next.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is making a tour around the country. Now, some say it's because he's talking about running for president. He's talking about recruiting police officers. It's a pro-police tour at some of the cities where they, he feels as if it has not necessarily been pro-police. And uh, so the mayor of New York had a little message for Governor DeSantis. I want you, I'm going to read you what the tweet said. This is what Mayor Adams said. Welcome to NYC at Ron DeSantis, a place where we don't ban books, discriminate against our LGBTQ plus neighbors, use asylum seekers as props, or let the government stand between a woman and health care. We're happy to teach you something about values while you're here. So the story goes on to say, this is a Daily Wire story, the sarcastic welcome from Adams, whose city saw major crime increase by 22% in 2022 compared to 2021, prompted a blistering backlash on Twitter. I want to pause there for a moment. Let's talk about policing for just one minute. Um, I talked about the OAT in Phoenix, which is the Office of Accountability and Transparency. This is where conversations need to be more real and a lot less angry. Because I can lay out for you a case that I will tell you that the appearance of the Office of Accountability and Transparency is a slap in the face to many people in the city of Phoenix. And I can tell you why. It's because it was it was during the time of the defund the police movement, which has been completely debunked as a failure. I'm not saying that the ideas and what they wanted to accomplish were a failure. The way they were going to get them is a failure. Less police officers means more crime, which means less time for proactive policing, less time for training, and less time for what you want to accomplish in your communities. Period. That's just the way it is. Um, But during this time of defund the police, there was a major distrust of law enforcement as a profession around the country. A major distrust. And part of that distrust was cops are not punished for committing crimes. I don't believe that to be true. Um, so there has been a an attack on policing, and a lot of officers have left the profession. Officers, deputies, troopers, whatever you want to say, they've left the profession. Governor DeSantis is going on a tour of major metropolitan areas where he believes cops have not necessarily gotten the message from city leadership that they are admired for what they do. Whether, like when you come to New York, if you look at just the COVID-19 and the vaccine refusal and what they did, I I just got to tell you, it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing that um, these cops were just let go unceremoniously. Now, it happened in Arizona. It happened in Arizona in some places, too, that were disappointing. But the, you have Governor DeSantis actually proactively going out and saying to these police organizations, hey, you're always welcome in Florida. If you want to come take care of a community, it's about safe communities. And what Governor Adams is doing here, or I'm sorry, I, Mayor Adams is doing here in New York City. Uh, I will tell you, I love New York. I don't get to come here very much. I'm not from New York. I've been a, many times to the area of Midtown, which is where I am now. And I love it. I'm, I'm staying very close to Madison. Square Garden and there's so much going on. It's alive all the time. But I've had so many people warn me, be careful, be careful. And I don't want to be in a place like that. I mean, I don't want to be where I feel fearful. I just, I don't like it. None of us do. And you have to look at what's going on in cities like Seattle and cities like Portland and L.A. and San Francisco and and Chicago, all well-intentioned as they might have been. 
But the failure of success, the lack of success, is amazing. When he says we don't use asylum seekers as props, but he wanted to bust them out of the city himself. He's shipping them to Canada. He's He's putting migrants on buses and sending them to Canada. The Canadian government had to ask him to stop. The idea that the necessity of solving this problem for your citizens, which is exactly what he's had to do, and by doing that is to move them out of his city somewhere else. Somehow the way he's doing it is kinder, just like the governor of Arizona saying what she is doing is kinder or more kind. I don't know if kinder is even a word. Uh, If being more kind by saying we are going to send you where you want to go. All of these things are policy decisions. But in the end, this is a federal issue. We are seeing huge rises in crime. I look at – we talk gun laws. We talk about all of this. But what you have is a governor in DeSantis that is kind of bucking the woke norm in this regard. He is not only saying that we don't defund the police where I come from. He is taking a tour around the country telling the country if you're a cop – and you don't like the way you're being treated here, come to Florida. We're growing by leaps and bounds. We have safe communities. You're going to be respected and supported for what you do. Come to our places. Come to our cities. Come protect our streets. I think that's a phenomenal message. I don't, again, I don't even think that's a partisan message. You know, for some people that are still anti-law enforcement, and there's still horrible things that happen. I just watched a video last night in Alabama that there was someone in a jail in Alabama that froze to death. His body temperature got down to 72 degrees. I mean, that's unacceptable behavior. There's no doubt about that. But as a profession, to say that we are law enforcement as a whole, the jail system um, in, in our towns, I'm not talking about prisons. I'm talking about the locally controlled jails and the sheriff's offices and the police departments and the state troopers are somehow a band of thugs is is an unfair thing to say. And when you have a governor, I don't care what state they're from, touring the country and saying, hey, come join us. We'd love to have you where we are when every agency, it seems like every agency in the country is suffering right now with a uh, with staffing issues. That's a good thing. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's considering a run for president doesn't hurt him either. Doesn't hurt him either. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about law enforcement locally. Uh, We've talked about human trafficking. We've talked about the crimes of prostitution and big events like we had in Arizona. Wait until you hear the number of arrests for prostitution between the events of Barrett Jackson WM Phoenix Open and the Super Bowl. That's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. As always, I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Here is a local story as we were just talking about policing and the fallout of things. And when you focus on certain things, they make a big difference. Now, this is over at KTAR.com. You can read the story. Over 300 human trafficking and prostitution arrests during a two-week stretch saw in Metro Phoenix hosting the Super Bowl, WM Phoenix Open, and Barrett Jackson, along with other car auctions. The multi-agency operation was conducted, I should say, from January 30th to 
February 11th and was created to deter prostitution-related activity here in the Valley. The priority of these operations here is a quote from Phoenix PD. The priority of these operations was to identify and recover juveniles or adult victims of human trafficking as it is related to fraud, forced or coercion, as well as to provide victim outreach. There were a total of 348 arrests. 48 of them were felonies. Of those three, uh, of the 300 misdemeanors, uh, 120 people were arrested for soliciting prostitution. Here's, listen to how disturbing this is. Five child victims and an adult victim were rescued as a result of operation, the operation. Nearly 25 organizations participated in this during a two-week period. Officials warned of human trafficking and prostitutions in the months leading up to the Metro Phoenix hosting one of the busiest stretches of large-scale events in history. Uh, Barrett Jackson went on from January 21st to the 29th. The WM Phoenix opened February 9th through the 12th, and the Super Bowl was played on February 12th, but we know that the NFL experience was going on along with that as well. My point here is we understand, I talk about it all the time, public safety, and I, I'm going to start trying to change the way I've, I say this, public safety is understaffed. I'm talking about fire and rescue, along with police departments, sheriff's departments, and um, the highway patrol or DPS. And in spite of that, we saw amazing cooperation along with federal authorities and making sure that all of those events went off in relative safety for the attenders and for the people that were in town for them. At the same time, they were keeping the streets safe in their relative or in their individual cities, along with their partners from the sheriff's department and DPS being county and statewide. And in addition to that, the special detail looking for people who are vulnerable. As I've said before, these predators, I don't care what they are preying upon. I don't care if it's, in this case, it's child trafficking or if it's drug trafficking or if it's a carjacking or whatever it is. A predator's mindset is different than ours, where you and I would see someone in a vulnerable vulnerable position. We would re- react in a way that says, I want to protect this person or at least do my best to make sure no one harms them. Predators see that as an opportunity. And here you've got children being preyed upon. So uh, kudos to Phoenix PD, who's quoted in this, and the other agencies they worked with. And I'm sure if we were talking right now with with Chief Sullivan or any of the other people on the command staff, they would never take um, all of the credit on their own. They would spread it out as it rightfully should be with other agencies. But this is what I'm talking about in policing. And my question always remains the same when I talk about this. What kind of city do you want? I don't care what city you live live in. What kind of city do you want? You know, I'm I'm prepared and I hate saying this because it, it isn't I don't mean to try to sound like Chuck Norris or John Wayne. I'm none of those things. I am prepared to defend myself, my home, the people I care about are innocent people. I'm as prepared as I think I can be. I don't want to. I want to live in peace. I want to live with neighbors that I trust. I want to live in a neighborhood where I feel safe walking around, driving around, going around. I want to live in a town that way. I want to know that if something does happen, that we're going to call 911 and either fire or rescue or PD is going to show up at an appropriate amount of time to help with the situation that's there. Not just for me, but for everyone.
If there's a medical condition in your home, a medical emergency in your home, I want to fee- I want to know, I want you to know, and we want to know that one of our neighbors is in a medical crisis, that it's only moments away for a fire department to get there, for rescue to get there, instead of the 10-minute response times we're seeing. When I ask what kind of cities we want, we can get distracted with a lot of the nonsense or what we can do is, you know, that people running for office and people that are in office respond and react to the needs of the community. When the community stands up and says kudos to you and let's go with just Phoenix PD for a moment. They had a uh, late last year. They had a project uh, that they were running on a detail. They were working with ATF and other agencies focusing on people that had illegal guns. These are people that were either modifying guns to make them illegal. They were people that were prohibited possessors and were not supposed to be in possession of firearms, or they were selling firearms illegally to people that weren't supposed to have them and they knew it. And they went out and they took those guns and they took those people off the street. Kudos to Phoenix PD for that kind of focused detail. Now you have put in your lap down at the convention center all of the activities with the Super Bowl. And then you have this prostitution sting, which are sometimes the most vulnerable people around us. Young women forced into these acts. I want you to think about what that would be like if it were your mother, your sister, your daughter, the woman that you just loved in your life. And it is a difficult thing to do. If we want cities that are safe, that are prosperous, that where the police are friendly with everybody in the community, you have to have enough cops on the streets to be proactive in policing, to be the best trained that's possible. We want them to be the best staffed and the best equipped. That's going to take an effort from all of us, meaning we're going to have to let the elected officials we hire – and the potential elected officials we're going to hire in the next election cycle to be a part of this mindset. Public safety first is not something you put on a campaign sign. Public safety first has to be something that you really do every day. And I think if we do that, we are going to remain one of the best places in the entire world to live. I love it in the Valley, and I don't want to see it change. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, back to a story I talked about earlier. An Arizona teacher goes to a Senate committee hearing in Arizona and says she's not really happy with parents. Next.